Amen. If you are able, will you open your Bibles and we can remain standing. Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 2. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, when you got it, say so. so. And it says, I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for your goodness to us, we thank you for these beautiful reminders that we have as we worship this morning in song, God, that your name is above every name. And at your name, Lord God, healing happens. At your name, salvation happens. At your name, deliverance happens. At your name, Lord God, or in your name, we can trust. And so we praise you for this, God. I pray that as your word goes forth today, that you would be heard, that we would not just hear you, but that we would respond to you in faith. And we pray that you would be glorified, remove every distraction of our minds and our hearts. And we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we're continuing in our Indivisible series in the book of Philippians. We started this a few weeks back, and we're coming around to the end of Philippians. And so the Apostle Paul is giving some final instruction and some final directions. And the one thing that we see here, and today I want to talk about peace, but not just peace. I want to talk about unified peace. The one thing that I've been speaking about since we began this whole series in the book of Philippians is that the, 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 the theme of the book is unity. It's a call to unity. There is a tone of joy that flows throughout. And as we see here, the Apostle Paul, probably one of the most familiar passages of Scripture in the book of Philippians is that one, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice but the, the fact is that Paul is calling for unity. In the beginning of this text, as we'll see when I get to this first point here, is that there are two women that are at odds with each other. And so God is again reminding the church through the Apostle Paul that we have to be a people that are unified and unified in peace. And this is why this becomes so important. It is because we were created to live in peace. Did you know that? Did you realize that? 
That when God created, I mean, think about the garden for a moment. I mean, there was, if there was ever a place of peace and tranquility, hallelujah, it was in the Garden of Eden. There was no stress. There was, there was work. Come on now. Some people believe there was no work. There was work, but it wasn't the kind of work that we have today. It wasn't the kind of work that, that brought frustration and discouragement. There was peace. God created us to walk in peace. And even after the fall, God hasn't created that. He created us to live in peace, to walk in peace. And now you and I should be committed to be vessels of peace. And the reason why this is so important is because if the enemy is successful, and again, speaking about unified peace, if the enemy is successful in dividing the church, he disrupts our mission. Church, we're supposed to be on mission to bring peace to a world that is in turmoil. Come on now. We're supposed to be vessels of peace in this world that is going through hardship and difficulty. And if the enemy can divide us, he disrupts our mission. But here to me is what is even worse, is, we, is he will be successful in diminishing our power to bring peace. When we're divided... When we're not walking together in unity, when we're not walking together in the peace that God affords us, then he diminishes our ability to bring peace. If you think about this, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If not, you can make a mental note. But the book of Romans chapter 14, the apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Rome. And as he's speaking about to, to the church in Rome, he is talking about these arguments and these dis disputes over eating and drinking and, and all of that. And he comes to this point in verse 17 where he says that the kingdom of heaven is not eat or drink, but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now hear those words. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God. As Minister Hector was sharing it as he exhorted us this morning, there is something that we have to realize, and it is that Jesus is on the throne. And here's what I want us to grasp. The reason why peace becomes so important is because peace is a kingdom attribute. Peace is a kingdom attribute that should be manifested in the life of the believer. Now, does that mean that we're not going to be shaken by things that happen? I don't think so. Does that mean that things are not going to come up in our lives that are going to make us think, man, this is messed up, or we're going to be confused? Like, you know, you get a pink slip, and you're out of a job, and you got shook by that for a moment. It's not like you walk into, into that moment, and you're just like, well, everything's going to be Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> But there are moments that, we, that, that our peace is disrupted. Nonetheless, when those things come, when our peace is disrupted, we have to remember what? That Jesus is on the throne. And because he is on the throne, I can trust in him, which is going to do what? It's going to bring me the peace, the kingdom reign of peace, that kingdom reign of righteousness, that kingdom reign of joy. These, oh, these things culminate. They work together. See, because here's the thing. When I'm walking under the rule of Christ, that is righteousness, when I'm living the way that Christ calls me to live, then, then I experience this peace of God, and this peace of God even brings a joy that comes that is is not the result of me, it's the result of my understanding of who God is. See, God does this. You and I, we can't conjure up peace. We got to figure that out. We can't make peace happen, and we'll talk about that a little bit more because there are some instructions here regarding the peace of God. But let me say this. I want you to think about this this morning. Apart from the peace offered in the gospel, the church has nothing to offer the world. Think about that. Apart 
from the peace that is offered in the gospel. The church has nothing to offer the world. Let me help you understand something. Some rich guy or some rich woman, either way, can go and fix somebody's poverty issue. Somebody who is wealthy can go and take care of physical problems that people have. Some doctor may one day come up with the cure for cancer. Some doctor may one day come up with the cure for AIDS. Some do- Listen, there, there, there are things in this world that can be taken care of apart from God. I, I'm just saying it. And when I mean apart from God, I don't mean that the wealth that the people have is not from God or the wisdom that the doctors have is not from God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there are issues in this world that can be taken care of apart from the church. However... The peace that this world needs is only found in the gospel. The peace that changes people's hearts, the peace that makes people see things differently, that makes people live differently, that peace is only the product of the gospel. And church, we have to recognize that God has not entrusted anyone else with that message but you and I. He has called us to be vessels of peace in this world. And if we, listen, if we're not walking in peace, guess what we can't offer? Peace. If we're not walking in peace, how do we give peace? How do we give people something we don't have? See, here's the thing. Peace doesn't just affect us. It affects us. Peace doesn't just affect me and make me feel tranquility. Come on. But peace creates, when, when there is a disruption, see, when we understand this, and I hope you grasp this, when we understand that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, and whenever there is no peace, whenever there is peace lacking, there should be something inside of us that says, wait a second, I need to pursue the peace of God. So that means if there's not peace between me and my brother, me and my sister, I as a believer, you as a believer should not be okay with that. The apostle Paul wasn't. So here, repeat this after me if you would please. Say unity in the body body. is a prerequisite and a preservative of peace. Unity in the body is a prerequisite and a preservative of peace. And so there has to be unity in the body for us to walk in peace. And the only way that this happens, and it's not just, you know, one, one, one time, one and done, but it is a continual ongoing process that we walk. You know, I've had conversations with, with brothers and, you know, they're, they're new in the faith and they're like, you know, they, they start to hear horror stories about things that happen in the church. You know, there's messed up stuff that happens in church. You know that, right? <laughs> You know, there's some things that you wouldn't think, you know, would happen in a church, you know, or some things that would happen. As a matter of fact, we look at the text here. Look at the text. Look at verse 2. I implore Eodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So what does Paul do? Well, well, here's what I want you to see. Is that around 2,000 years ago, people were beefing back then. Come on. People who were of note, I mean, you think about it, right? Paul just, you know, out of the blue, he's coming to the end, and he calls out these two women and says, hey, tell these two women to be of the same mind. Seek peace. Be of the same mind. 
We, it, it's, it's a prerequisite because if Eodia and Syntyche are not of the same mind, guess what? They disrupt the church. Are you here? You know how it is. You know, when people are, are beefing in the body and, and it's, it's kind of like when mom and dad are not, you know, they're not, they're not clicking. You know, you know how that is, right? When mom and dad are not on the same page and, and there's no peace in the home, right? Well, when you got brothers and sisters that are not at peace with each other, not working towards peace, not engaging with each other, you know, it disrupts the peace. It disrupts the balance. Come on now. I don't want to get all yin and yang with you. Come on now. <laughs> I, I am not getting all yin and yang. Just know that. Just know that. This is none of that, that mystical, crazy Eastern stuff. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. There is a disruption in the spirit. Why? Because we have to walk in peace. Because when I'm here and, you know, and I'm walking by, and let's say Sarah, you know, and I, we have an issue with each other, and we're walking in the, in the lobby together, glory to God, and we don't look at each other, guess what? Everybody else is like, hmm, what's wrong there? Yeah. What's going on? You feel some kind of tension. Why? Because here's the thing, church. What we have to remember is there is a spiritual component to all of this. It's not just some emotional feels. No, no, no. There is something spiritual going on. And when the enemy can get us to be divided in our way of thinking, then what happens is he finds a foothold and suddenly you start to feel a, 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 a discrepancy in the spirit. You start to feel something. You don't even know that it's the spirit. You just know something's off. That's why Paul says, hey, Tell these two women they need to be of the same mind. Tell them to get right. You know what he doesn't tell us? What they're at odds about. I think it's intentional, right? Because you know what we would do? If we knew what they were arguing about, we would say, well, you know, they're arguing about that. That's not what my issue is. Are you here? That's what we would say. Well, that's not what my issue is. All he says is let them be of the same mind. In other words, it's not about what divided you. It's about what's supposed to unite you. It's not about what separated you. It's not about what made you argue. It's not about what made you disagree. It's not what made you pull to the left or to the right. No, no, no. It's not, that's not the issue. It's what's making you pull to the center. What's making you pull together? What is it that brings you together? And church, that is the gospel. It is the gospel that brings us together. It is when we partake of communion and we are reminded of the broken body of Jesus and we are reminded of the shed blood of Christ that we remember why are we together. It is not because we were necessarily born in the same city or in the same, you know, ethnic group or because we are on the same socioeconomic path. No, no, no. We are together because of the gospel. We're together because Jesus died. And so again, I'll quote Pastor Aldo Fight for fellowship. Fight for fellowship. Fight for unity. Fight to be one body. In Christ, church, we can have, we can find agreement in thinking. But here's the thing. We must strive after it. It's not just going to happen. It's not just going to occur. We have to strive after the same mind. What is that mind? The same mind that Christ Jesus had. Your memory verse. Come on now. The same mind, chapter 2, in the book of Philippians, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. What is that mind? That mind of humility, that mind of submission, that mind of surrender, that mind of sacrifice, that mind of redemption, that mind of mission. That is what was moving Jesus. That mind was moving him. Church, that's the same mind that needs to move us or, you know, we'll continue to be divided. Here's the thing. We cannot allow the enemy to use anything to divide us. We cannot allow the enemy 
to use anything to divide us. Listen, we can agree to a disagree. We can agree to disagree on some things. That's fine. That doesn't mean we have to be disagreeable. That doesn't mean we have to be disrespectful. That doesn't mean we have to be dishonorable. Listen, I'm supposed to honor you even if. You know what tolerance is for? I love this quote. I never forget this. Tolerance is for people, right? That, that's what tolerance is for. It's for people, not ideologies. Hello? I don't tolerate your ideology. I don't, I don't agree with your ideology, but I tolerate you because I love you. I tolerate you. And you know what? At church, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on something. It's a little newsflash for some of you. But even Christians who love Jesus passionately, they disagree about stuff. Newsflash. They disagree about big stuff. They disagree about things that matter. What are we supposed to do? Oh, well, you know what? I'm just going to find everybody who agrees with me and hang out with them. No, that's not what you do. You fight. You fight for that fellowship. You fight for that unity in the body. But I love what Paul goes on to say because look what he says in verse 3. He says, I urge you also, true companion. Who's this true companion? We don't know. The same way we don't know what they were fighting about, we don't know who the true companion is. We only know that it's someone who is reading this letter, probably the one who received the letter. Could have been Epaphroditus. We're not 100% sure who the true companion is. But what does he say the true companion needs to do? He needs to help these women. Help them what? Help them get over themselves. Come on now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Help them get over their situation. Help them not only to deal with that, but help these women also. Encourage them, right? Help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Why, why is that important here? Because we need to realize that Iodia and Syntyche, they weren't some crazy women that were just sitting on the sideline doing nothing. These were women who were laboring in the gospel. These were women who were part of the mission. And you know what happened? They had some mission drift. They began to have some mission drift. They began to pull apart. And so Paul calls them back to unity. And so here's what I want you to know is that it, it, it is one thing for us to fight for unity. But let me say this. You cannot be silent when you see the enemy, when you see emotions, or you see opinions dividing others in the body. Hello? Brothers and sisters, please hear me when I say this. When you see divisions start to spring up, don't be a coward. Don't be silent. Go on ahead, take it to prayer. Yeah, for sure, you ain't got to jump down someone's throat. Take it to prayer, but don't just take it to prayer and leave it there unless God says be quiet. But let me tell you something. We need to pay attention to how many times God says open our mouths. Hello, somebody. Because God has already spoken clearly in his word how we are supposed to help one another. We are supposed to communicate what? The truth in love. Whenever we see brothers and sisters at odds, man, speak up. Be a voice. Don't be a jerk. Be a voice. Call them to repentance. Call them to work out whatever it is that's happening. And if they're not listening to you because you're not spiritual enough or you don't have a title or whatever the case is, then call on someone with a title that is more spiritual than you. Hello. You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm joking about the spiritual side. But, you know, sometimes people don't listen to you unless you have a title, right? And in some cases, I think that that matters, right? Like you shouldn't go and get advice, for, you know, for your body physically from someone who hasn't actually gone to school. Hello, somebody, Right? But nonetheless, we are not talking about that. We're talking about spiritual matters, about following Christ, looking at God's word. And so we need to, he says, to help these women in their way. The mission of the church, that is what? It is to make disciples. Church, it cannot be thwarted by, by division. We cannot allow the enemy to hinder what God wants to do, but we must be empowered by what? Look what he says in this verse, famous verse here. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, 
I say, rejoice. What did God speak to Nehemiah when he was building the walls and things were happening? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. So Paul says, listen, we need to deal with this division issue. We need to help them in the work. But we also, if we're going to do this, we need the joy of the Lord. We need the, well, where's this joy come from? This joy comes from that reminder. This is the, the basic reminder of the gospel, right? That we are all born into sin. That we are separated from God because of our actions and our decisions. And that, listen, we can do nothing to save ourselves. No matter how good I am, no matter how much good I do. I cannot save myself. I can't make myself right before God. I can't do enough good things to check off enough boxes for God to say, okay, you've done enough. Now you get to come to heaven. No, no, it doesn't happen that way. Everything that I try to do does what? Fall short of the glory of God. If, if, if it is not inspired by him, if it is not him doing it through me, that's why Jesus said, you can do nothing apart from me. He is the vine. If we're not connected to the vine, in other words, we cannot save or deliver ourselves from our sin. And if you are in your sin, the, the scripture says clearly that you will spend eternity separated from God's love in hell and suffering. And listen, I know that's a tough pill to swallow, but that's the sad part of the gospel. You know what the beautiful part of the gospel is? Is that Jesus came to rescue everything. Everyone who will put their faith in him. Jesus wants no one to be separated from his love to the degree that he suffered humility in our place. He suffered agony in our place. He suffered for our sin. He did for us. He bridged the gap between lost men and God. He did that because what? Because of his love. Because he loves us. He offers us life. All we have to do is put our faith in him. And I say all we have to do like that's just easy. It's not always easy. Because putting your faith in Jesus means you can't live for yourself anymore. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus died to save us. And when we put our faith in him, when we repent of our sin, when we put our trust in him, you know what he does? He gives us new life. He gives us a new identity. He takes us from being his enemies to being his friends. He takes us from being sinners to being saints. He takes us from being outcasts to being sons and daughters. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's why we rejoice. As Minister Hector began to exhort, what is it? Some people don't understand why we're so excited about this Jesus. It's because he's done all of that for us. So we rejoice, what? In the Lord, because there's a lot of times in life we ain't got nothing to rejoice in. There's a lot of moments in our lives that there's nothing that I can rejoice in, that, there's, that everything is so heavy, so dark, so discouraging that I can't stir up joy in those things, but I can always rejoice in the Lord. I can always rejoice in him. And I love it because Paul repeats it. He doesn't just say rejoice in the Lord, period, and move on. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In case you forget as you think about this exhortation, it's not just, you know, having joy once. It's not just re-encouraging re yourself, but it is again and again and again rejoicing in who Jesus is. That's the strength, church. That's the encouragement that we have. Why? Because the gospel of peace does what? It brings us joy. And that joy does what? It preserves peace among brothers and sisters. Because I realize there's something greater that brought us together. Whatever's trying to divide us is not, not greater than the one who came to unite us. It encourages our unity, and also it does what? It fuels our mission. 
Church, I don't want you to forget that we are called to be on mission for the Lord. And when we get caught up in division and we get caught up in all this other stuff, and I want you to know the enemy has been working overtime for generation after generation to divide and conquer, to divide and conquer, to keep the church distracted, to keep us fighting. I mean, look, you go online and just scroll through some stuff, and you'll see the church fighting over doctrine, over politics, over this, over that. All this infighting is doing what? Is hindering us from reaching out to others. We've got to be on the mission. The second thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our gentleness is a reflection of an eternal disposition guarded by peace. Our gentleness is a reflection of an eternal disposition guarded by peace. Look at verse 5 and what Paul says here. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known to all men. I remember we were sitting in Forge, and for those of you that don't know what Forge is, Forge is a men's Bible study. I lead a table. Uh, Brother Jeff Nelson, he's also a, a leader there. He's part of Forge. And so we invite you to come out Tuesday mornings. Not this Tuesday. It's Thanksgiving week, so we don't have it this Tuesday. But the following week, you know, we invite you to come out from 7 to 8 o'clock over here in Oviedo. Can't make it to Oviedo. We have one in Longwood. We also have one on Zoom. So, you know, you can get connected to that any way that you would like. If you want more info, you can get with me. But I remember a few weeks a few months back, actually, we were in our time of table talk and table discussion. And as we were there, uh, Dr. Pete said, hey, I want you guys to read through this text. And I just want you to, to, to look at it and just run through it and, and just discuss, you know, what's in this text. And it was the first time in 20-something years of me being a Christian and me quoting, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice that I realized what the next verse was, which was to let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is at hand. I never noticed that verse there, but here's what I come to understand, is that gentleness is a disposition. It's a humility. It's a lack of being harsh towards other people. And, 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 there, and, and there should be no question, no question at all, that the Lord is at hand. In other words, we are closer to the next coming of the Lord than we have ever been. If you don't believe that, you're blind. I'm just saying, we are closer than we have ever been to the coming of our Lord, to the revelation of Jesus from on high. How do we know this? Because the Bible prophesies these things, and every other prophecy in Scripture has come to pass except for those that are dealing with his second coming and his return. And so this is what I bank on. I bank on the fact that two-thirds of the one-third of prophecy in the Scripture have already come to pass. So if he didn't miss first third, second third, I doubt he's going to miss the third third. Come on now. He's just not. He's going to bring it to pass. And so Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all. Why? Because in the midst of rejoicing, we have to realize what? The Lord is at hand. Church, it's not about us. It is about the mission. It is about those who don't know Christ. It is about those. See, you and I, whether if you're a believer in here, guess what? You're excited about the coming of the Lord. You're, because you know there's no more sorrow, there's no more hardship, you're not going to suffer. Once you see Jesus face to face, that is our blessed hope is what Paul calls it or Peter calls it. We are looking forward to that day that we are reunited with our Savior and we are brought into his glory. As we partake of communion every week, what are we reminded of? We're reminded of that thing called salvation. That's a beautiful thing. We look forward to that. But can I tell you who's not looking forward to the day of the Lord? Those who don't know him. Because that is a day of terrible judgment. 
That is a day that the wrath of God will be poured out on mankind like it has never been seen. That is a day that is overwhelming for anyone who does not know him. And church, we need to care about them. We need to be concerned about them because we want as many people to meet God on good terms, not on bad terms. Come on now. We want people to know him. And so, but you know what happens when we're nasty, when we're foul, when we're not gentle? You know what that does? It gets in the way of people seeing the Lord who is on his way. It hinders them from being able to see the Lord. See, here's what we have to realize is that we are living in those days, and here's what's going to happen. Church, listen up. Persecution is going to arise against the church, even in the United States of America. I know right now you don't think it's possible. You, you, you hear about China. You see people being beheaded for their faith. You see people suffering. You hear about underground churches. You're like, oh, never in America. Yeah, keep on, keep on thinking that. Keep on believing that lie. That's not true. The Bible promises that persecution will arise. The Bible also promises that sin will abound. Listen, we fight against sin. We are the salt and light in this earth, and we are supposed to be against the moral decay of, of immorality in our culture. However, the Bible promises sin will abound in our days. And you know what it also promises? When sin abounds, the love of many will grow cold. But church, here's the beautiful thing, is that the mandate upon the church remains the same. We're called to be the light. We're called to speak the truth in love. And we must be unwavering in our witness to the world. This is what has to happen. But what does he go on to say? He tells us to let our gentleness be known to all, for the Lord is at hand. And then he says, and be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. Here's what I want you to understand, is that anxiety makes gentleness impossible. You hear me? Anxiety makes gentleness impossible. Think about it for a moment. Think about when you are your most foul. <laughs> Think about when you are the, the nastiest person, when you are on edge. You know, you know what anxiety is? Anxiety is insecurity. That's what it is. Anxiety is fear of the unknown. It's not being sure what's going to happen. Are there any unknowns right now in our, in our day and age? I think there's a few. There's a few things that got people all up in our, oh, my goodness. Christian, you shouldn't be like, oh, oh my goodness. You should be like, Jesus is still on the throne. No matter what happens. No matter what goes on, you may have your moment. What does he tell us to do? He tells us how to deal with our anxiety so we can be gentle. But you know what he tells us here? Here's what I said earlier. You cannot fabricate peace. You can't make peace come up. You know what this instruction is about? This instruction is about posture. This is what he's telling you. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer, by supplication, Thanksgiving, it's a posture. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, it's a posture. What are you doing? You're positioning yourself for what? For the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. See, because I have one of two choices. I can either talk to God about what's going on, or I can complain to people about what's going on. 
I can either listen to what God says about what's happening or I can listen to what the world says about what's happening. See, I have a choice to make in this and I have a decision of what posture I'm going to be in. Am I going to be in a posture where I say, wait a second, people are saying that, well, I'm, I mean, think about this, right? I'm about to say, uh, people are saying we shouldn't even meet or gather for Thanksgiving, y'all. Come on now. A moment that we should, I mean, listen, you, you, can, you can talk about indigenous people and all that stuff another day. Here's what I want to talk to you about. It is a moment that we recognize as a time that we gather together and we give thanks to God. We give thanks to God for his mercy, for his provision, for his grace, for his goodness. It's a posture that we have. It's a posture that we're supposed to take because if we have the right posture, then we get peace. If we have the wrong posture, you know what we get? Anxiety. And you know what we're not? Gentle. Because we're overwhelmed by what's going on in this world. See, here's what I know. When God's peace guide, or when God's peace guards our hearts, God's peace guides our lives. When God's peace is guarding our hearts, God's peace guides our lives. He leads us to being that salt, that light, to be those people of God that he's called us to be. The third thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, right focus, right focus. and right living, right living. assure the God of peace is with us. Right focus and right living assure that the God of peace is with us. Look what Paul goes on to say, and we're getting ready to wrap up here in verse 8. He says, finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Here's the question. What are you meditating on? What is constantly before you? I have to be honest with you. You know, I had to like, you know, not, I, I can't even get on Facebook that much. I can't get on Twitter that much because you know what? If I get through that, there's so much negativity and vitriol that is just coming at you. There is so, listen, you don't know what to believe. You don't know what is true. You have a hunch over here. You think this there. It looks like this. And wait a second, wait a second. Church. What are we meditating on? We have to have the right focus because the right focus will lead to right living. Listen, all this other stuff, guess who's got it in his hands? The Alpha and the Omega. I heard this song this morning. I was so, I was so encouraged, right? He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's in the middle. He holds it all together. Think about that. He is the beginning and the end. He didn't just start it and then run to the end and leave us in the middle to figure it out. That isn't what he did. He is the beginning, he is the end, and he holds it all together. Well, why does it look like this? Don't worry about it. You, you, you ever see a baker in the kitchen? It looks crazy. Come on now. But in the end, if they know what they're doing, glory to God. Because it can look like a mess, and then you taste it like, oh, oh no, no. <laughs> but if they know what they're doing, amen. 
If they know what they're, it may look like a mess right now, but the end result, the baker knows what they're doing. Come on now. Do you not think the creator knows what he's doing? Do you not think the creator has all things in the control of his hand? He could, the same way Jesus could have called legions of angels to his side and said, come on and destroy these people trying to kill me. Jesus had the authority to do that. It looked like a mess, y'all, to the degree that the disciples ran because they were like, there's no way. We thought this guy was the, uh, what was the Messiah. We thought this guy was the Savior. I mean, this guy was rebuking winds. The wind stopped. This guy was walking on water. I mean, this guy looked like he had, he raised people from the dead. And now look at him. Looked like a mess, didn't it? Three days later, he rose. Three days later. See, see we don't get excited about that anymore. Three days later, he rose. Why can we rejoice in the Lord? Because he's living. Why can we rejoice in the Lord? Because he is alive. Because he is not defeated. Because it looked like a mess, but now he's seated in glory. See, we can rejoice in that. That's the beauty of the gospel. And Paul calls us to look at certain things. We are supposed to realize this. The battle against anxiety is won as we do what? What is Paul telling us to do here? He's telling us to create an atmosphere for the presence of God. See, when you and I are worrying and we're like all over the place and we're all concerned and we're all consuming, you know what we're not doing? We're not creating an atmosphere for God to move. We're not creating an atmosphere for God's presence to be manifest. And listen, we're not supposed to be like Pollyanna, you know, like everything is all good and just forgetting about anything bad. That's not what God has called us to be. But you know what he's called us to do? He's called us to be people of hope, real hope. I was sharing with the men yesterday, and again, if you know you guys want to come out and hang out with us next Saturday, we'll be getting together again, 8 o'clock in the morning. But here's what should happen to us. We should be uh, people who are in the Word of God, who are meditating on the Scriptures, who are allowing our minds and our hearts to be changed. The way that we think has to change. We create this atmosphere, this space for God's presence to move. What does Paul say? He says this crystal clear. Look at this in verse 9. He says, the things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. It's a promise, is it not? He's saying, listen, meditate on the things that are pure. Meditate on the things that are true. Meditate on the things that are lovely. Meditate on the things that are just. Meditate on the things that are praiseworthy. Meditate on the things that have virtue. Meditate on those things. But hey, don't just meditate and think about how good God is, but you also need to live righteous. The things that you saw, the things that you heard, the things that you learned, the things you received from me, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you, but I want to I hold on to that promise. That no matter what I'm feeling, that no matter what seems to be going on, the God of peace said he's going to be with me. You know why? Because I'm living the way that I'm supposed to live. I'm living for his glory. I'm living for his pleasure. I'm living to please him. Church, we have to discipline ourselves toward the honor and the glory of God. And so here's my closing, closing question for you. Where is God's peace not ruling in your life? Where is God's peace not ruling in your life? Think about that. Maybe it's surrounding your finances. Maybe it's surrounding your family, your marriage, your children. Maybe it's surrounding sickness. I don't know. Where is it that God's peace is not ruling 
in your life. Listen, Jesus died to become our peace. So there is no reason why we shouldn't have his peace in our lives. Would you bow your head right where you are? Oh, Jesus. As we have our heads bowed in this place, I just want to be specific as I pray. But if you're in here and you're struggling with God's peace in any area of your life and you want to acknowledge that and you just, you want God to bring you peace, I just want you to just slip your hand up before the Lord and I just want to pray for you. I see those hands. Hallelujah. I see those hands. Praise the name of the Lord. You can put your hands down. Now, before I pray, I just want you to get real honest with God. I want you to confess whatever it is that is robbing you of your peace. And lay that thing down before him. And ask him to enthrone himself. Ask him to reign peace. Father, you know our hearts. God, you know what we're battling with. You know what the struggle is. You know where the anxiety gets the best of us. And so, Lord, as we think upon this truth, as we think upon this reality, God, as those hands have gone up, Lord, we acknowledge that we want your peace to reign. We want your peace to rule we don't want to be overtaken by worry, fear, doubt, anxiety. But God, we want to be ruled by your peace, Lord. We want our hearts to be governed by your peace. And so, Lord, reign. Reign in us. Rule in us, God. We cast down anxiety. We cast down fear, God. We come against every opposition to your peace in our lives today. And Lord, as we think right now, Lord, upon those who don't know you and don't have your peace, God, may you draw their hearts to you. May you reveal yourself to them. And may you give them the peace that only you can give. And may you use us in this season, God, this season in which our world needs you, needs your peace more than ever before. God, may you use us. May we see those opportunities where turmoil is to be voices and vessels of peace in our world. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Can you give God a hand of praise? He is worthy.